Chapter Seven, Part One, of Vandover and the Brute. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Vandover and the Brute by Frank Norris. Chapter Seven, Part One. On a certain evening, about four months later, Ellis and Vandover had a date with Ida Wade and Bessie Laguna at the Mechanics' Fair. Ellis, Bessie and Ida were to meet Vandover there in the art gallery, as he had to make a call with his father and could not get there until half-past nine. They were all to walk about the fair until ten, after which the two men proposed to take the girls out to the cliff house in separate coupés. The whole thing had been arranged by Ellis and Bessie, and Vandover was irritated. Ellis ought to have had more sense. Rushing the girls was all very well, but everybody went to the mechanics' fair, and he didn't like to have nice girls like Turner or Henrietta Vance see him with chippies like that. It was all very well for Ellis, who had no social position, but for him, Vandover, it would look too confounded queer. Of course, he was in for it now, and would have to face the music. You can't tell a girl like that that you're ashamed to be seen with her, but very likely he would get himself into a regular box with it all. When he arrived at the mechanic's pavilion, it was about twenty minutes of ten, and as he pushed through the wicket, he let himself into a huge amphitheatre full of colour and movement. There was a vast shuffling of thousands of feet, and a subdued roar of conversation, like the noise of a great mill, mingled with these were the purring of distant machinery, the splashing of a temporary fountain, and the rhythmic clamour of a brass band, while in the piano exhibit the hired performer was playing a concert grand with a great flourish. Nearer at hand, one could catch ends of conversation and notes of laughter, the creaking of boots, and the rustle of moving dresses and stiff skirts. Here and there groups of schoolchildren elbowed their way through the crowd, crying shrilly, their hands full of advertisement pamphlets, fans, picture cards, and toy whips with pewter whistles on the butts, while the air itself was full of the smell of fresh popcorn. Ellis and Bessie were in the art gallery upstairs, Mrs. Wade, Ida's mother, who gave lessons in hand-painting, had an exhibit there which they were interested to find, a bunch of yellow poppies painted on velvet and framed in gilt. They stood for it some little time, hazarding their opinions, and then moved on from one picture to another. Ellis bought a catalogue, and made it a duty to find the title of every picture. Bessie professed to be very fond of painting. She had taken it up at one time, and had abandoned it, only because the oil or turpentine or something was unhealthy for her. Of course, she said, I'm no critic. I only know what I like. Now that one over there, I like that. I think those ideal heads like that are lovely, don't you, Bandy? Oh, there's Van. Hello, said Vandover, coming up. Where's Ida? Hello, Van, answered Bessie. Ida wouldn't come. Isn't it too mean? 
She said she couldn't come because she had a cold, but she was just talking through her face, I know. She's just got kind of a streak on, and you can't get anything out of her. You two haven't had a row, have you? Well, I didn't think you had, but she's worried about something or other. I don't believe she's been out of the house this week. But isn't it mean of her to throw cold water on the procession like this? She's been giving me a lecture, too, and she says she's going to reform. Well, said Vandover, greatly relieved, that's too bad. We could have had a lot of fun tonight. I'm awfully sorry. Well, what are you two going to do? Oh, I guess we'll follow out our part of the programme, said Ellis. You are kind of left out, though. I don't know, answered Vandover. Maybe I'll go downtown and see if I can find some of the boys. Oh, Dolly Haight is around here somewheres, said Ellis. We saw him just now over by the chess machine. I guess I'll try and find him then, responded Vandover. Well, I hope you two enjoy yourselves. As he was turning away, Bessie Laguna came running back, and taking him a little to one side, said, You'd better go round and see her pretty soon if you can. She's all broke up about something, I'm sure. I think she'd like to see you pretty well. Honestly, she said, suddenly very grave, I never saw Ida so cut up in my life. She's been taking on over something in a dreadful way, and I think she'd like to see you. She won't tell me anything. You go around and see her. All right, answered Vandover, smiling. I'll go. As he was going down the stairs in his way to find young Haight, it occurred to him what Ida's trouble might be. He was all at once struck with a great fear, so that for an instant he turned cold and weak, and reached out his hand to steady himself against the railing of the stairs. Ah, what a calamity that would be! What a calamity! What a dreadful responsibility! What a crime! He could not keep the thought out of his mind. He tried to tell himself that Ida had practically given her consent by going into such a place, that he was not the only one, after all, that there was nothing certain as yet. He stood on the stairway, empty for that moment, biting the end of his thumb, saying to himself, in a low voice, What a calamity! What a horrible calamity that would be! Ah, you scoundrel! You damned fool! Not to have thought! A couple of girls, the counter-girls, and one of the candy booths, came down the stairs behind him with a great babble of talk. Vandover gave an irritated shrug of his shoulders, as if freeing himself from the disagreeable subject, and went on. He could not find young Haight downstairs, and so went up into the gallery again. After a long time, he came upon him sitting on an empty bench, nursing his cane, and watching the crowd go past. "'Hello, old man!' he exclaimed. "'Ellis told me I'd find you around somewhere. "'I was just going to give you up.' "'He sat down beside his chum, "'and the two began to talk about the people as they passed. "'Ah, get on to the red hat!' exclaimed Vandover on a sudden. "'That's the third time she's passed.' "'Has Ellis gone off with Bessie Laguna?' asked young Haight. "'Yes,' answered Vandover. "'They're going to have a time at the Cliff House.' That's too bad, young Haight replied. Ellis has just thrown himself away at that girl. He might have known some very nice people when he first came here. Between that girl and his whiskey, he has managed to spoil every chance he might have had. 
there's Charlie Geary, Vandover exclaimed suddenly, whistling and beckoning. Hey there, Charlie, where are you going? No, he cried on a sudden as Geary came up. Oh, get on to his new store clothes, will you? They both pretended to be overwhelmed by the elegance of Geary's new suit. Ho, ho, cried young Haight. The bloody, blooming, bloated swell. Just let me touch them. Vandover shaded his eyes and turned away as though dazzled. This is too much, he gasped. Such magnificence, such purple and fine linen. Then suddenly he shouted, Oh, oh, look at the crease in those trousers. No, it's too much. I can't stand it. Oh, shut up said Geary, irritated, as they had intended he should be. Yes, he went on, I thought I'd blow myself. I've been working like a dog the whole month. I'm trying to get in Beale's office. Beale and Story, you know. I got the promise of a berth last week, so I thought I'd blow myself some rags. I've been over to San Rafael all day, visiting my cousins. Had a great time. Went out to a row. Oh, and had a great feed lettuce sandwiches with mayonnaise are simply out of sight i came back on the four o'clock boat and held down the line on kearney street for an hour or two yes young haight said perfunctorily adding after a moment isn't this a gay crowd a typical san francisco crowd and i had a cocktail in the imperial at about quarter of five said geary and got a cigar at the elite then i went around to get my clothes Oh, you ought to have heard the blowing up I gave my tailor. I let him have it right straight. Geary paused a moment, and Vandover said, Come on, let's walk around a little. Don't you want to? You might run on to the red hat again. I told him, continued Geary, without moving, that if he wanted to do any more work for me, he'd have to get in front of himself in a hurry, and that I wasn't full of bubbles if he was. Why? says he why mr geary i've never had a customer talk like this to me before since i've been in the business well mr allen says i it's time you had <laughs> oh sure i gave it to him straight vandover has gone daft over a girl in a red hat said young haight as they got up and began to walk have you noticed her up here i went to the grill room after i left the tailor's continued Geary, and had supper downtown. Ha! You ought to have seen the steak they gave me, just about as thick as it was wide. I gave the slavey a four-bit tip. I was just as well, you know, to keep in with them, if you go there often. I lunch there four or five times a week. They descended to the ground floor, and promenaded the central aisle, watching for pretty girls. In front of a candy counter, where there was a soda fountain, they saw the red hat again. Vandover looked her squarely in the face and laughed a little. When he had passed, he looked back. The girl caught his eye and turned away with a droll smile. Vandover paused, grinning, and raising his hat. I guess that's mine, he said. You're not going, are you? exclaimed young Haight as Vandover stopped. Oh, for goodness' sake, Van, do you leave the girls alone for one hour in the day. Come on! Come on downtown with us. No, no, answered Vandover. I'm going to chase it up. Goodbye. I may see you fellows later. And he turned back and went up to the girl. Look at that, said young Haight, exasperated. 
He knows he's liable to meet his acquaintances here, and yet there he goes, almost arm in arm with a girl like that. It's too bad. Why can't a fellow keep straight when there are such a lot of nice girls? Geary never liked to see anything done better than he could do it himself. Just now he was vexed because Vandover had got in ahead of him. He looked after the girl a moment and muttered scornfully, Cheap meat, adding, Ah, you bet I wouldn't do that. I flatter myself that I am a little too clever to cut my own throat in that fashion. I look out after my interests better than that. Well, Dolly, he concluded, I've got a thirst on. Van and Ellis have gone off with their girls. Let's you and I go somewhere and have something wet. All right. What's the matter with the Luxembourg? answered young Haidt. Luxembourg goes, then, assented Geary. And they turned about and started for the door. As they were passing out, someone came running up behind them and took an arm of each. It was Vandover. Hello, cried Geary, delighted. Your girl shook you, didn't she? Not a bit of it, answered Vandover. Oh, but say she is out of sight. Says her name is Grace Irving. No, she didn't shake me. I made a date with her for next Wednesday night. I didn't want to be seen around here with her, you know. Of course she'll keep that date, said Geary. Well, now I think she will, protested Vandover. Well, come along, interrupted young Haight. We all go down to the Luxembourg and have something cold and wet. Ah, make it the Imperial instead, objected Vandover. We may find Flossie. Say, cried Geary, can't you live without training around after some kind of petticoats? Oh, you're right, admitted Vandover. I can't. But he persuaded them to go to the Imperial for all that. At the Imperial, Toby, the red-eyed waiter, came to take their order. Good evening, gentlemen, he said. Haven't seen you around here for some time? No, no, said Geary. I've been too busy. I've been working like a dog lately to get into a certain office. You bet I'll make it all right, all right. Bring me a stringy rapid and a pint of dog's head. You bet I've been working, he continued, after they'd settled down to their beer and rabbits. Working like a dog. A man's got to rustle if he's going to make a success at law. I'm going to make it go by George, or I'll know the reason why. I'll make my way in this town, my pile. There's money to be made here, and I might just as well make it as the next man. Every man for himself, that's what I say, and that's the way to get along. Maybe selfish, but you've got to do it. By God, it's human nature. Isn't that right, hey? Isn't that right? Oh, that's right, admitted young Haight, trying to be polite. After this, the conversation lagged a little. Young Haight drank his Apollinianaris lemonade through a straw. Geary sipped his ale. And Vandover fed himself Welsh rabbit and Spanish olives with a silent enjoyment of a glutton. By and by, when they had finished and had lighted their cigars and cigarettes, they began to talk about the last cotillion to which Vandover and Haight belonged. Say, Van, said young Haight, tilting his head to one side and shutting one eye to avoid the smoke from his cigar. Didn't I see you dancing with Mrs. Doan after supper? <laughs> yes, said Vandover, laughing. All the men were trying to get a dance with her. She had an edge on. No, exclaimed Geary incredulously. That's a fact, admitted young Haight. Van is right. She was opposite to me at table, said Vandover, 
and I saw her empty a whole bottle of champagne. Why, I didn't know they got drunk like that at the Cotillons, said Geary. I thought they were very swell. Well, of course they don't as a rule, returned Vandover. Of course there are girls like, like Henrietta Vance, who belong to the Cotillon and make it what it is and what it ought to be. But there are other girls like Mrs. Doane and Lily Stannard and the Trafford girls that like their champagne pretty well now, and don't you forget it. Oh, you know, I wouldn't call it getting drunk, though. Well, why not? exclaimed young Haight impatiently. Why not call it getting drunk? Why not call things by their right name? You can see just how bad they are, then. And I think it's shameful that such things go on in an organisation that is supposed to contain the three best people in the city. Now, I just want to tell you what I saw at one of these same Codeleons in the first part of the season. Lily Stannard disappeared after supper, and people said she was sick and was going home. But I knew exactly what was the matter, because I had seen her at the supper table. Well, I had gone outside on the steps to get a mouthful of smoke, and my little cousin, Hetty, who has just come out and who is only nineteen, was out there with me because it was so warm inside, and she had seen Lily Stannard filling up with champagne at supper, and didn't know what to make of it. Well, we were just talking about it, and I was trying to make her believe too that Lily Stannard was sick, when here comes Lily herself out to her carriage. Her maid was supporting her, just about half carrying her. Lily's face was so pale that the powder on it looked like ashes. Her hair was all coming down, and she was hiccuping. Now, continued young Haight, his eyes snapping, and his voice raised so as to make itself heard above the exclamations of his two friends. Now that's a fact. I give you my word of honour that it actually happened. It's not hearsay. I saw it myself. Oh, it's fine, isn't it? He went on wrathfully. It sounds well, don't it? When it's told just as it happened, the girl was dead drunk. Oh, she may have made a mistake. It may have been the first time. But the fact remains that she always drinks a lot of champagne at the Cote Leons. And other girls have been drunk there too. Mrs. Doane, that Van talks about, was drunk. That's the word for it. She was dead drunk that night. And there was my little cousin, Hetty, who had never seen even a man the worse for his liquor, standing there and taking it all in. Of course, everyone hushed the thing up or else said the poor girl was sick. But Hetty knew, and what effect do you suppose it had upon a little girl like that, who had always been told what nice, irreproachable people went to the Codeleons? Hetty will never be the same little girl now that she was before. Oh, it makes me damn tired. Well, I don't see, said Geary, why the girl should make such a fuss about the men keeping straight. I dare say now that this Stannard girl would cut us all dead if she knew how drunk we were that night about four months ago. That night that you fellows got thrown out of the Luxembourg. No, I don't believe she would at all, said young Haight. She'd think better of you for it, put in Vandover. Look here, he went on. All this talk of women demanding the same moral standard for men as men do for women is fine on paper, but how does it work in real life? The women don't demand it at all. Take the average society girl in a big city like this. The girls that we meet at teas and receptions and functions, don't you suppose they know the life we men lead? Of course they do. They may not know it in detail, 
but they know in a general way that we get drunk a good deal and go to disreputable houses and that sort of thing and do they ever cut us for that no sir not much why i tell you they even have a little more respect for us they like a man to know things to be experienced a man that keeps himself straight and clean and never goes around with fast women they think is ridiculous of course a girl don't want to know the particulars of a man's vice what they want is that a man should have the knowledge of good and evil yes and lots of evil to a large extent i really believe it's the women's fault that the men are what they are if they demanded a higher moral standard the men would come up to it they encourage a man to go to the devil and then and then when he's rotten with disease and ruins his wife and has children what is it spotted toads then there's a great cry raised against the men and women write books and all when half the time the woman has only encouraged him to be what he is oh well now retorted young haight you know that all the girls are not like that most of them that you meet in society are but they are the best people aren't they demanded geary no answered vandover and young haight in a breath and young haight continued no i believe that very few of what you would call the best people go out in society people like the rabbises who have good principles and keep up old-fashioned virtues and all that you know he added they have family prayers down there every morning after breakfast geary began to smile well now i don't care retorted young haight i like that sort of thing so do i said vandover up home now the governor asked a blessing at each meal and somehow i wouldn't like to see him leave it off but you can't tell me he went on going back to the original subject of their discussion you can't tell me that american society girls city-bred and living at the end of the nineteenth century don't know about things why man alive how can they help but know look at those who have brothers don't you suppose they know and if they know why don't they use their influence to stop it i tell you if any one were to write up the lives that we young men of the city lead after dark people wouldn't believe it at that party that henrietta vance gave last month there were about twenty fellows there and i knew every one and i was looking around the supper table and wondering how many of those young fellows had never been inside of a disreputable house and there was only one beside dolly haight young haight exclaimed at this laughing good-naturedly twirling his thumbs and casting down his eyes with mock modesty well that's the truth just the same vandover went on we young men of the cities are a fine lot now i'm not doing the baby act i'm not laying the blame on the girls altogether but i say that in a measure the girls are responsible they want a man to be a man to be up-to-date to be a man of the world and to go in for that sort of vice but they don't know they don't dream how rotten and disgusting it is no i'm not preaching i know i'm just as bad as the rest and i'm going to have a good time while i can but sometimes when you stop and think and as dolly says call things by their right names why you feel don't you know queer i don't believe van responded young haight that it's quite as bad as you say but it's even wrong i think that a good girl should know anything about vice at all no that's nonsense broke in geary you can't expect nowadays that a girl an american girl can live twenty years in a city and not know things 
Do you think the average modern girl is going to be the absolutely pure and innocent girl of, say, fifty years ago? Not much. They are right on to things today. You can't tell them much. And it's all right, too. They know how to look out for themselves, then. It's part of their education, and I think if they haven't the knowledge of evil and don't know what sort of life the average young man leads, that their mothers ought to tell them. Well, I don't agree with you, retorted young Haight. There's something revolting in the idea that it's necessary a young girl should be instructed in that sort of nastiness. Why, not at all, answered Geary. Without it, she might be ruined by the first man that came along. It's a protection to her virtue. Oh, pshaw! I don't believe it at all, cried young Haight impatiently. I believe that a girl is born of a natural, intuitive purity that will lead her to protect her virtue just as instinctively as she would dodge a blow. If she wants to go wrong, she'll have to make an effort herself to overcome that instinct. And if she don't, cried Vandover eagerly, if she don't, if she don't protect her virtue, I say a man has a right to go as far with her as he can. If he don't, someone else will, said Geary. Ah, you can't get around it that way, answered young Haight, smiling. It's a man's duty to protect a girl, even if he has to protect her against herself. When he got home that night, Vandover thought over this remark of young Haight's, and in its light reviewed what occurred in the room at the Imperial. He felt aroused, nervous, miserably anxious. At length he tried to dismiss the subject from his mind. He woke up his drowsing grapefire, punching it with a poker, talking to it, saying, Wake up there, you! When he was undressed, he sat down before it in his bathrobe, absorbing its heat luxuriously, musing into the coals, scratching himself, as was his custom. But for all that, he fretted nervously, and did not sleep well that night. The End of Chapter 7, Part 1